Hello there, and greetings to you. Welcome to Duel of the Takes, the movie and pop culture podcast that pins the wildest, most unpopular opinions head-to-head. Today, friend of the show, Ben, is joining us in ranking the directorial work of David Fincher. My name's Nathaniel Martin, and I am joined by my regular co-hosts, Josh Kubis and Alden Mason. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Duel of the Takes. Today, we are talking about David Fincher movies. In fact, we are ranking all 11 of his feature films. So, that's exciting. We are joined by a friend of the show, uh, my good friend, Ben. How's it going, man? Pretty good. Good to be on here. Yeah, so we, we decided to have you on because you and me were just kind of talking at, uh, at Sour Mouse, and uh, we, were, we were like bouncing Fincher movies back we and were. forth, and I was like, why don't we just fucking do a David Fincher episode? It's been a long time coming. He's one of my favorite filmmakers, so I'm, uh, I'm excited. I know, I know we'll have some disagreement at some point. Well, that's good, because uh, Alden and Josh are coming in a little undereducated for today's episode, but I have faith we can still make a good list. I'm a... Uh... I'm excited to just watch the madness, see everybody's opinions, and uh, yeah, I'm just gonna really look at the arguments today until somebody brings up the social network too low. But it's—I feel like it's been a while since we've done like a movie ranking episode. Surprisingly, we've had like a couple weeks of just like random other pop culture arguments. So this is this is exciting. Just don't have me or Alden go first. Ben, what is David Fincher's worst movie? Mostly because. I had no interest in it from the get-go because I knew it was going to be subpar compared to the first two. And then partially because I didn't finish it, um, Alien 3 is clocking in at last. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, I mean, I kind of have to agree with you. Uh I don't hate it that much. I don't think it's the worst possible direction for an alien movie to go after the first two because they're wildly different. So t- trying to take it another different way i mean this movie's so bad that fincher like disowned it it's it's like not even credited to him in the in the credits anymore it's definitely an interesting idea because you get to see like you know ripley is like the tough character right and being in a men's prison is kind of a cool like plot device for her mm-hmm. i didn't care about any of it it was very hard to even watch like the first hour and a half or whatever. So I saw at for in high school, I saw the end on TV and I was like, oh, this sucks. And I changed it. It was like the last maybe 20 minutes. And then I recently saw like, yeah, like the first hour. So there's like most of the third, the beginning of the third act like missing. But I was like, it doesn't, pro- doesn't matter. No, I, I think that this is, this is a safe, safe place to put it. I don't think there's too many people that would defend it. Uh, in all honesty, it's, it's probably Fincher's worst movie. <laughs> I just read the summary for it. Sounds pretty good. That's the thing. Is like, th- there's potential. Fincher was more known for being an editor at this point in his career. He was doing like commercial editing. I was thinking about this actually watching his other movies too. Like he's very much his strength is very much in the visuals and editing. Uh, more so than I mean, that's why he always works with screenwriters, right? He never writes his own scripts, really. But like, like for as bad as the movie is, it's not like hideous or anything like that. It's not badly edited, I would say. So. All right. Um. Well, I guess I'll go next with my number ten, since Alden and Josh haven't seen, uh, ten movies. I'm gonna say the next worst David Fincher movie, and this might be where the hot takes begin, is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Bruh. 
That was mine too. <laughs> That's what I have at 10. <laughs> Good. I don't really have a whole lot to say about this movie. Um, in all honesty, I just don't really love it. Like just about everything on here, I get some level of enjoyment out of. The next two are ones that I will watch no matter what. And then his top seven, I think, are all like really, really good movies. Like if they were made by anyone else, they'd probably be that person's best movie. The thing I was thinking this entire movie, I saw it like a couple weeks ago, actually, because I had seen bits and pieces, but I was thinking it's like slightly more boring Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> like I already don't really like Forrest Gump that much because it's just it's so long. And I don't know, it just seems like too to fantasy and benjamin button try i feel like it tries to make to bring emotions out of you while relying so heavily on this fantasy concept of him getting younger and i'm like dude this is like almost too unbelievable to actually make me like feel anything i'm going a little off top oh so sorry josh no go for it finish it because i'm going way off topic <laughs> <laughs> okay to me it just feels like a worse version of uh tim burton's big fish where it has like this fantasy retelling of like a person's life and in that movie it's really cool because it's like it's it's in the framing device of like a, a father on his deathbed telling the story of his life to his son and so it makes sense that there's like there's like an in-canon reason why the story is like fantastical and whimsical but with this, it's, like, played straight, and it's so, so cheesy. And I just, like, this is one of the few movies on this list that I'm like, why was David Fincher the go-to for this story? Like, it's based off of a book, and it doesn't sound like a type of movie that he would make at all. Like, I, I don't know why he was the choice for this. I was gonna say, because you brought up Forrest Gump, and then you brought up Big Fish, which I know is a trigger word here on Duel of the Takes, but I think, like... <laughs> Tim Burton was able to mix that fantasy and story storytelling better than kind of what Forrest Gump was. Like, I feel like what Forrest Gump was going is what Tim Burton executed in Big Fish. And I know that's kind of a hot take because Forrest Gump is beloved by many. Wow, it looks like I need to uh, see Big Fish. I haven't seen that one yet. I, it's like my second favorite Tim Burton movie, but it got to like uh, number 14 on our list because um, my friends... My friends hate me. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's no uh, Alice in Wonderland, probably. Which got... Yeah, that made number seven. How? I, didn't, I, I hated that movie. I love that movie. Thanks, Alden. Oh, you're welcome. No, I, I think that's what caused the Big Fish issue, was that movie. No, was it was Corpse, uh, Bride. Corpse Bride. Oh, okay, okay. Anyway, yeah, big sidetrack. I, I guess, like... Another issue I have with this movie and, like, why it's not one I've gone back to, the visual effects are, like, just good enough to look like a video game cutscene when he's, like, an old man, like, child, but they're not convincing enough for me to, like, like buy into that fantasy element. I feel like if they waited, like, ten more years, maybe the visual effects would have been able to get there, but... Brad Pitt as, like, a young old man dude. Like, it's just awkward. I also feel like Kate Blanchett's a better actress and is better in a lot of movies than she is in this. Uh, I'd have to disagree, actually. She was the one reason I kept watching uh, because I think she was able to do with, with, like, something with the material she had. Like, for as cheesy as the movie was and as cheesy as the plot is, she was actually able to bring emotion to that character that... I don't even think should have been there because it's not worth watching. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I, I don't know. I like Kate Blanchett and everything I've seen her in. I think she's a great actress. So I don't think she really 
I mean, I th- it seemed to me like she really gave it what she had. Yeah, it's a weird script. Josh, what do you have at number nine? It's uh, <laughs> a great question. Um, <laughs> let me let me take a look at the. Uh... Do not use the letterbox list. I just put in memes as reference. That thing's all over the place. I'm just going based on what I think I would like. And what I think I wouldn't like. Should the game go here? The game could go here. That, that is what I have. I'm trying to think of the meme picks now. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the game. Kick off uh, Pride Month with gay actor Michael Douglas. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Why do you have the game here other than gay actor Michael Douglas? Well, a good friend of mine told me in a group chat a couple of days ago that this movie is not very good. But from my ironic level, it's great. And um, maybe we should do a commentary of this like this week. So it will come out the same week as this as this episode. I really like this movie a lot. Besides maybe The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, like the cheesiest David Fincher movie. It was a very weird follow up for him to go from seven to this. But it's it's kind of cool. It reminds me a lot of like. It's just like a type of movie you wouldn't really get nowadays where it's like a mid to low budget thriller starring like Michael Douglas and Sean Penn where or not. Yeah, Sean Penn. And uh, he joins this like kind of like secret society type thing like Eyes Wide Shut where, you know, you have to play this game and they don't tell you what the game's going to be. So then he's like getting kidnapped and like it's all to deal with like trauma from his past. And it's like, well directed but just not that good of a script i think i think that like i was conflicted between putting this at nine and another movie at nine which i will not say but the single reason that it keeps you like on the edge of your seat the whole movie it's very i guess suspenseful in that way like you're you're invested in the story to a high degree um the entire movie until the end you know when i was a kid i would i would like imagine scenarios in my head right you know where you're like fighting a battle or or whatever and i remember this one time i imagined the scenario and i was like what if this bad thing happened and i got super into it i basically in my imagination i got to this like wall and i was like how do i get out of this bad scenario and then i was like oh it was all pretend and so the whole arc in my pretend game I was playing. I think it was with one of my friends too. You know when you'd play pretend out and like when you're a little kid you're like fighting battle. Am I the only one that did this when I was a kid? No, no, no. I definitely did too, man. I think that's how Chris Nolan wrote Tenet. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's like at in this one pretend game, I had gotten so invested in the story that I was like, man, this this is stupid now. And then so I was like, oh, this whole story doesn't matter. And that's pretty much the end of this movie. Yeah. The ending is just so, I think it ruins it, but it, it would have been up there. It would have been probably better than Panic Room. I love this movie poster. <laughs> <laughs> is that the one where his head is like a puzzle or some shit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if this was tried to be placed at like, uh, like 10 or 11, I probably would have said something. But I, I think 8 is totally all right. I can't really make a big case for... Uh, the game versus Panic Room. Well, you're not going to like what's in my eight spot, so... All right, well, I believe it is Alden's turn to nominate something, so this is where things are probably going to start to get messy. Okay, so we're at number eight, right? Uh, yes, number eight. 
11 has is Alien 3, 10 is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and 9 is The Game. Right, okay. Then I'm following for once. Uh, I'm going to put Panic Room here. All right. It's on the same level as The Game, and it seems that most of our lists are fairly interchangeable with which one is at 8 or 9, but they're all here. Yeah, I, uh, I like Panic Room. I think it's kind of like, again, one of those like mid-level thrillers you don't really get anymore. Um, it's nothing special. Like... Fincher had already made a really, really great movie at this point in Seven, in my opinion. And then, like, this just feels like just about anyone could have made it. I do think it's elevated by his voice and especially the editing. It's very kinetic. It just feels like a kind of, like, Hitchcock premise where it's like, okay, here's the setup. This lady has this, you know, beautiful brownstone. She's got a little panic room in case people try to break in and then people try to break in. It's very like it's here. Here's the setup, and here's where the suspense is going to be. But the movie kind of dies with that premise because then there's not a whole lot to do, especially when all three of the villain characters are like stereotypes. Like they're just one note, like <laughs> like villains. There's not there's not a lot of depth. They feel like like a background goons in like the bat in like a Batman movie. Like are these like two faces henchmen? <laughs> rolling up it's exciting right it doesn't have to be that much i put that at is so damn long (laughs) by the end of the three hours it like you don't care are you using your is that is that your veto being used here (laughs) okay (laughs) wow no i i'm willing to fight this fight i uh it's it's an easy fight (laughs) 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 let me disclaimer this I saw Panic Room when I was in high school, and I fell asleep through the third act of Zodiac. So, with that said, go ahead. <laughs> I just watched Zodiac yesterday, and it's it's near the top of my list. I can't I can't do that. I respect what you're saying in terms of like the the pacing department. I I do think that that is one of those things that will not resonate with people with for Zodiac, and I totally understand that it's. A little drawn out, well, probably a lot drawn out and just really long, especially when the conclusion is what it is. But I think that that's like obviously done for like an intended purpose. And whether you like that or not, I feel like Panic Room is just a kind of by the numbers thriller that anyone could have directed. And I don't know if anyone could have done a movie like Zodiac. I I think in another person's hands, that movie would have been way worse even if Soderbergh tried to do that who I really like his movies and I think he has a good sense of pacing I think it would feel like very shallow and very like like Zodiac would fall apart in another director's hands even someone who's really competent and whose movies I like sure sure and I I think I'm not saying Zodiac is like a horrible movie but I think there's in terms of pacing like there's a certain level you have to like stay at with like a slow burn movie like that to keep like the audience invested or at least me invested like there's, I mean, I like a slow burn, but I feel like partially because of Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo, I don't think they're that dynamic enough. And partially just because it's it's so slow moving, it just like lost me like midway. And so I was like, I don't know. I I feel like with all the David Fincher movies I've seen, they're pace really well. I think he's one of the best directors at pacing. And I think Zodiac's a prime example of that. The movie's like three hours long and it doesn't feel three hours long to me. I was able to sit through that movie, I think, two days in a row. Maybe it wasn't two days in a row, but I saw it, like, back-to-back, like, like 
like, very, like, close to each other and was completely fine with it. I was, like, excited to, like, rewatch certain scenes because it's it's so good. And I think I was actually thinking about this, too. I think there is definitely, <laughs> I mean, obviously in any, in any uh, criticism of any movie, there's a subjective element. And I did fall asleep through part of it because it was late. <laughs> I will stand by the fact that, like, it didn't, it felt like Spotlight. Like, did y'all see Spotlight? Like, that movie <laughs> yeah. was good. It was, like, not a bad movie, but, like, by the end of it, I'm just like, I, I don't care. I don't feel anything. I just feel like I've spent a lot of time watching this thing. So, Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to uh, make a couple cases for why I think Zodiac works as well as it does. The reason why I don't think uh, it should go below Panic Room specifically is that <laughs> Panic Room is a great little like 90 minute thriller or whatever. It might be a little longer, but it, it's not like, like it feels like an old school movie with like a new school setting. And I think that like, it's cool to do that, but then you get to down to the characters and what makes old movies like the Hitchcock movies for me so awesome is like that ensemble cast or, you know, really strong antagonists. And I thought Forrest Whitaker was absolutely horrible in this movie. It's like, I love Forrest Whitaker. He's usually good in anything. And he's like a very cringeworthy stereotype in this movie. Jared Leto gives one of the worst performances of this era of his career. Um, and he's obviously making more of a fool of himself now, but this was like the first time I saw Jared Leto in a movie and I was like, wow, this is, like, bad. Yeah, I mean, honestly, not gonna lie, I'm most likely wrong. But, but I will stick by it just for the fact that I enjoyed watching Panic Room, whereas I didn't enjoy watching Zodiac. All right, well, let's let's put it to a vote. I think, I think that Panic Room needs to go here. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> ben, still staying with Zodiac. And Alden, what do you think belongs at number eight? I think Panic Room needs to go here. That was a rough veto. That was like uh, that was like your Jackie Brown situation, Josh. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> Jackie Brown is so good. Like Jackie Brown is way better than Django. <laughs> it is. That's that's just a fact. This man tried putting Zodiac at number. What number are we on? Eight. <laughs> I, I hope I'm not pissing anybody off too much, but. <laughs> no, no you're good it's just all the other ones are very hard to rank so i was like yeah, zodiac throw away throw away my number eight is the game so i can't place that here um we're now moving to number seven at number seven on my list i have the girl with the dragon tattoo that is where i have it on my list okay well i do like this movie a lot and now i think that we're into like the top seven top six ish territory these are all movies that i like i genuinely think if any other filmmaker made them it would be the best part of their filmography unless of course like paul thomas anderson decided to make the girl with the dragon tattoo which would be very fucking weird <laughs> i love this movie i love the cast I think that this is probably one of Daniel Craig's best performances, if not his best performance. Rooney Mara is fantastic, and Christopher Plummer, Stellan Skarsgård. I mean, really, like, they went all out with the casting, but I think that this movie, of the three-hour-long thrillers that Fincher has, is the one that suffers the most in the pacing department for me, just because the, the characters guide you through the story in a way that 
you you are learning information as they learn it, which usually works really well for thrillers. But then when the characters break off and do their own thing, they then go back and re-explain everything, like like to the to each other. And it's like okay, that works if they're like double crossing each other over and over again. But for the most part, it's played pretty straight, and then they just go do something and then explain it. And it's like probably coming down to the script due to the fact that it's another book uh, adaptation. But I think the original one, uh, the Swedish film, is like better because it's shorter. <laughs> it, it does a good job of not over-dumping exposition. Granted, it has voiceover and is a little bit more of like, oh, of course this is an adaptation of a book. But I don't know. Where do you guys feel on this? I, I kind of agree with you in, in the pacing department. I... <clears throat> I, I found myself like having a sort of difficult time keeping track of how time has progressed. It just jumps to a few months later a few times. It jumps locations with like no explanation of why the character traveled there sometimes. It's it's not easy to follow and it's not a difficult plot to, to keep up with either, which is really awkward position to be in. Being the uh, hack fraud that I am, I watched a video on this, actually. It was some sort of, you know, one of those fucking... Or, are we allowed to curse in here? Yeah, yeah. You can say whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> yeah. It's one of these fucking video essays that are on, like, uh, movies. And I, after I watched this movie, I, it impacted me a lot. I mean, obviously, all the technicalities, like, the cinematography, um, the, the cast, like you were talking about, the acting is very good. But I think for a lot of these movies, I mean, especially for judging like the director and, and the movies overall, um, a thing that needs to be like kept in mind is like the emotional and, and the, the overall impact of the movie. Right. And this had such a unique impact of like like emptiness for me, um, because, you know, a lot of times in these thrillers, they have the story, they, they hit the climax and everything's good and nice and dandy. Right. But in, in, in this movie, he uses this five-act structure where the climax basically happens in the middle and everything after the climax is kind of like the, you know, how everything works out, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't work out like a normal movie, right? Like, she, she doesn't, you know, end up with him. Like, he goes off with the other chick or whatever and, like, it's just very empty feeling even after all the, like, epic shit we've gone through, right? And I, I don't know, for me, that was just like, whoa, like it was a novel experience for a, a film of that genre. It reminds me a lot of the movie. We talked about this when we did our Nolan ranking. It reminds me a lot of Insomnia uh, with uh, Al Pacino and uh, um, Robin Williams because it, it has like that, like the atmosphere is great. Mm -hmm. And I think it's cool. I love the way that this film looks. I think it might be one of my favorite shot Fincher movies. Oh, yeah. I, it's, it's definitely unique. And I guess where I kind of think it's a little like bit of a letdown for me is there the book series which i haven't read goes on and you you follow uh uh lisbeth a bit more through like other situations she gets in and i, I wanted to see more of that too and so there were talks of fincher doing like a series like a mini series to kind of continue it out and not like have to do the next three books or whatever then they made a fucking terrible follow-up. They recasted because Rooney Mara was too expensive, I guess, or didn't want to do it. And the the sequel was so bad. I wanted to see it just because, like, 
I kind of was like, I really, really enjoyed that character and enjoyed that first movie. And they got uh, Claire Foy to play the character. And it was just, it looked like a, like a ripoff. Like it didn't even feel like it was a continuation. So I do think that this is one of those movies that Fincher brought so much to the table. Um, but again, I, I also really like the original, um, the Swedish version. Yeah, I need to see that one. I don't think the acting is as strong. And obviously the production value is nowhere near as, as big either. But the suspense works very, very well in that as well. And I, I, I like what you're saying, though, about that, that five-act structure. Is there something else that you think goes here besides Zodiac? <laughs> Out of curiosity. Oh, for we're at number... Seven. Seven. Oh, I, I had panic room here. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, there were a lot on my list that were like, if we had to go down to five, I'd just have multi. I'd have Zodiac and Le- uh, Panic Room on like the same level. If it was like, you know, S through poop crap tier, yeah, would, I would I would have them like ranked like that. We've already talked about Panic Room. It's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Uh, well, it sounds like that's gonna be the girl in the dragon tattoo then at number seven. Uh, Josh, what is your number six? Is this where Mank goes? I don't know. What'd you think of Mank? Uh, <laughs> what did you think of the trailer of Mank? <laughs> uh, the production design looked cool. Okay, yeah. I like, I like Mank a lot. Yeah, same. I, I don't know. From the David Fincher movies I've seen, um, I don't know if it hits that top five. I think a lot of people would say it's one of his weakest movies, and, uh, that seems to be, like, the popular sentiment now, which is kind of frustrating, because I, I think it was one of the most unique movies to come out last year. I, I definitely think it's higher on the list. I would not put it at six. Yeah. Yeah, it's not my six either, but I wouldn't, like, be too distraught if it were here. Well, the thing about, about Mank is, well, I, I grew up watching a lot of like film noir movies and a lot of those old thirties, forties movies like Thin Man and, you know, DOA, all those that in that genre. And there is such, such a profound respect for, for that genre and that era of movies in the movie. Like, you know, from like the cigarette burns to the audio, to the score, um, to the, the costume design, like the, the costume design was incredible. Um, and also the acting, like, I think for a lot of Fincher movies, although they're all great movies, um, I feel like he's not a director who tells the actors what to do. Uh, you know, there's a lot of directors that do that. They're like, I want you to like, give this, you know, sort of sentiment in the scene and just like, kind of like give them the whole idea of the scene. Um, but in this movie, like, it's almost like he's, he and he and the actors are on the same page. Like, his idea for the scene is exactly what they have on, uh, like, their idea for the scene. Like, Amanda Seyfried and Gary Oldman are fantastic in this movie. Most emotional performance of, like, probably any of his movies. Do you want to try to nominate something else, Josh, or are you, are you sticking with Mank? From what I'm looking at the movies left, I, there's three movies left that I've seen that I've at least want to see in the top five because I enjoyed all three. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I think I'm just going to stick with that. I need to, I need to hold on to my veto because I think I'm going to try to elevate Zodiac a little further than whenever Ben's next turn is, so... <laughs> I, I'm pretty... You're probably fine, but I'm going to use my veto. I just don't know what I want to place here instead. I don't know if what I have is an unpopular opinion amongst this group or not. I say shoot for the fences, you know? Okay, I would like to put 
Fight Club here. Run. <laughs> okay. Uh, why Fight Club, Alden? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's it's good. I enjoy it, but I, I don't think it's as strong as at least four movies that I have above it. That's fair. That's fair. So between Fight Club and Mank here, I do have Mank lower. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. I don't. I think Fight Club's one of those movies where it's like. It kind of gets like circle jerked a little too often. Like mm-hmm. it's one of those movies that like film bros will never shut up about. But I do think it, its impact and its its like filmmaking qualities are extremely good. But it's kind of like the parasite of whatever 1999, where like <laughs> I mean, it like got a lot of critical praise at the time and then didn't make a lot of money until it got like more recognition later, which kind of happened with Parasite, kind of not. Where like it was out in theaters and it didn't do great, and then it won the Academy Award, and then it was re-released, and then everyone saw it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, and then of course they put it on on Hulu and shit too. So then it, it just was like the talk of the town. It's the highest rated movie on Letterboxd right now. It's in like the IMDb top ten now. Wow. Yeah. And Fight Club was one of those movies that was rocking like number seven in the IMDb top two fifty for the, at least a decade. Um, yeah, that's true. That is true. I don't think it, it deserves that spot. I don't feel too strongly about it, though, either. Did just watch Mank, and I really like Mank. Yeah, what it kind of comes down to for me is is Mank is a very well-executed movie, like, technically, and also, I think, in the performances, especially in, in Gary Oldman's performance. You can, you can feel the love for, again, what Ben was saying, like, that era of cinema. Like, uh, in every single shot, the way they did the audio to make it sound like it was an older movie, it's it's extremely, extremely well done. And I, I think it's probably one of Fincher's most personal movies, too, seeing as how his uh, father wrote it, like, 35 years ago, 40 years ago. It was an old script, but it works so well, and I love the parallels between Herman Mankiewicz's uh, real life and with the... Um, making of and the movie citizen kane but it's such a niche movie that i know like zodiac it's one of those that's not going to work for everyone and fight club is so um renowned by people that it's like it's stylization and like it's look just screams like late 90s early 2000s cinema and it's one of those that i think is going to age continue to age pretty well even if it is a little dated in its presentation yeah i i actually i saw fight club in high school and i didn't really like it but then actually watching watching it recently i i think the reason why it stuck around so long is I don't think any other movie has been able to like depict the like malaise of modern culture as well as that movie has. And honestly, like the the whole look of the movie, it's so green tinted that that was the main reason I hated it in high school. I was like, I am getting sick looking at this movie. But then on on second thought, it's like, oh, like that's kind of the point, right? Like, I don't know. It's basically a critique on modern culture that works. And I think that's why it will last. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, everybody says that it's kind of like overhyped to that degree. And I don't think it's like a perfect movie, but I I definitely think it deserves a higher spot. Yeah, I I think it's going to have to be Mank here, but I do want to continue singing its praises just a bit more um i think that mank is gonna go down as like one of those like overlooked like hidden gems in fincher's filmography 
because uh, it was so, so good. But if it came out any other year, it probably would have gotten a lot more attention and a lot more praise. I think this just goes to show that like the whole, oh, pump and dump on a Netflix thing is going to shoot big name directors in the foot because Fincher has had a pretty good relationship with streaming services. I mean, he made Mindhunter for Netflix, which is pretty good. If you like his thrillers and his like longer documentary kind of style stuff like Zodiac and stuff like that, you'll you'll definitely dig Mindhunter. But then it's also like he's producing series for, for Netflix, doing all this stuff. But putting a movie, especially one that's so meta with its knowledge of film in on a streaming service, like I just feel like the demographic of people who care about Mank are not the people watching Netflix. And this movie didn't even make the top 10 any the week it came out on Netflix's uh, they're like top 10 movies of the week or top 10 things being watched because it came out the first week of December and they had like three other original movies out that week and then uh and like a new season of Riverdale or some bullshit so what a great show I just saw Mirror of Easttown I just finished it have y'all seen that no no it's like Riverdale but not shitty there's some cringe in it but it's like it's pretty good and it's a miniseries so it's like tolerable it sounds cool anyway sidetrack who's all is that on is that on hbo yeah it's hbo that looks pretty neat oh with kate winslet yeah she's really good in it dude shit yeah i gotta watch this the commentary of mank is really interesting too like the fact that it takes place like during an election like and it came out like this past year like i was surprised that it didn't get more of like a cultural zeitgeist for it. I mean, I think like it's it's commentary on what socialism means then versus what it means now is like kind of in your face. Like I was almost like caught off guard. And then when I found out that uh, uh, David's, David Fincher's dad made the film, like wrote the script rather like 30, 40 years ago, I was like, holy shit. Like it's crazy how, you know, something like that can age as well as it does. Dude, yeah, no, you got me excited cuz like I think one thing that just really drew me into the movie was just those those dialogue scenes with him and, and uh what's the guy's name? But like the rich dude or whatever. All the dialogue scenes where they'd have be, be having this political discussion where it's just like non-stop like such great dialogue oh yeah charles dance as william william randolph hearst is fucking amazing in this movie and he's barely in it every scene with those two like i was like wow this is like it keeps you on your toes man i like the use of like orson welles in this movie too where he's kind of just like some spoiled brat <laughs> auteur who's like trying to take as much credit as possible it's so funny like pairing this up against like uh like Ed Wood, like the, uh, the appearance of uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's portrayal of of uh, uh, Orson Welles in Ed Wood compared to Tom Burke in this is absolutely hilarious because it's like one paints him as like the ultimate director, like the person all the other directors aspire to be. And then in this, he's just like kind of like a hack, like got really lucky <laughs> with this movie deal and is just going to be able to take all the credit for it. And uh, I, I love to see it. And whoever that actor was did his voice like so good. Yes, he did. He sounded just like him. We are now moving into the top five. And uh, let's see, Alden just... Wait, no, Josh went. Alden, it's your turn to nominate something again. <laughs> is it, it going to be Fight Club? No. Oh, Well. okay. <laughs> I'd like it to be. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'll commit, yeah. I'm going to say Fight Club again. Well, rule one of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club. Number four. So number four. <laughs> <laughs> number four. It's back to you, Ben. You doing the Zodiac? 
<laughs> Please don't. Oh, I thought we were going to actually talk about number five. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's talk about Fight Club. For, for number four, I have Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. At five, then, let's talk about Fight Club. I think Edward Norton and uh, Brad Pitt are both fantastic in their respective parts. I think kind of Brad Pitt playing this, like, machismo, like, every every dude wants to be this dude type is really, really cool. I think it's one of his first, like, really great performances uh, of, like, a handful of really great performances. You can kind of understand why he got typecasted after this because it's, like, I guess he doesn't show the range that you'd want him to. But, I mean, this movie rides and dies with Edward Norton. He's so good in this movie. Honestly, like, I'm straight or whatever, but no dude in a freaking movie is as epic as as uh, Brad Pitt in Fight Club. That was a very 2012 kind of sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's Never mind. Here, here we go. In honor of Gay Pride Month, I am now... Well, you know what? I need to stop talking. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Perform- like, I think, like you were saying, like, their, their performances really hold it up because, like... I mean, I just watched it today uh, again, and, like, uh, I don't know. There's the whole dichotomy of the man who's at work, you know, nine-to-five job being miserable... And then the man he wants to be is so, like, they're completely different people, but they work off each other. I mean, they work, you know, in his mind so, like, well. I feel like it's kind of one of those things where it's foreshadowed enough. You're like, oh, it's the same person. Like, okay, I get it. Um, the second time through, it's a, it's a real treat to rewatch as well, because then you can kind of see, like, the little, like, instances. Like, I don't think you ever see Tyler's reflection or something like that. You don't see, uh, there's like random like frames where he's just like teleporting in. It's like, what the fuck? It's it's definitely like, uh, like a dumber movie. Like, uh, I don't know, let's say Joker 2019, for example. Once like Tyler's gone, they would just like show, or like once, once it's revealed that it's the same person, they would then like go back to like scenes where like Edward Norton is just there by himself. And it's like, we don't need to do that. They pulled that shit in Joker when he's got, like, the girlfriend or whatever who's, like, the girl down the hall who doesn't even know who he is. And so, like, when he's in her apartment, she freaks out. And then they, like, go back to, like, three times he was sitting alone. <laughs> like, I'm like, this is so cheesy. And this movie never gets cheesy. Although it is very dated in, like, a good way. Like, I think it's with that green tint, like, that color palette. It it screams late 90s like stick it to the man and i i dig it so much kind of like the matrix honestly it's got the same kind of tint yeah natural born killers uh the matrix and this kind of all share that same like green and yellow palette oh well it's not that important but i just found out about this guy with the stage name meatloaf he's just in the cast list of fight club I don't really know who he is. Meatloaf? Meatloaf? He's a, he's a singer. singer <laughs> he's a really well-known singer. Never known him. Bro, he's in Rocky Horror. That's your culture, Alden. Is it? I don't know. It's mine. I like I like Rocky Horror. Yeah, it's good. I just, I never knew. He's got some good music. You've never heard Bad Out of Hell? Wow. <laughs> uh, this is one of my favorite early Jared Leto performances, because he's getting his shit kicked in. Oh, yeah. Dude. <laughs> I, I want to watch that scene right now. <laughs> I mean, I watch it every night before I go to bed. Like, while I'm brushing my teeth, I'm like, Jared Leto's scene, a- Angel Face loses in Fight Club. Yeah, it's really cool. I like this, th- like, the the film's, like, theme of, like, anti-establishment. Like, it's it's a little in your face at the end with, like... I want to interject something. Watching it now, you know, the a lot of Brad Pitt's lines are, like, armchair philosopher guy... <laughs> <laughs> he like says these like you know quips or like little you know 
philosophical things and you're just like oh, shut the fuck up like it's like i'm 14 and this is deep kind of thing yeah i mean he would definitely have one of the edgiest twitters if this film took place in 2019 <laughs> instead oh, of yeah. 1999 <laughs> i think it's funny because like it, it adds to edward norton's character too because it's like this is what this dude thinks of himself or like the other part of his personality or whatever uh it's a it's a good character study all right we are now moving into the top four, it sounds like. Is this where Zodiac's going, Ben? Oh, so Fight Club is in five now? Yeah. Yeah. I had this at uh, at six, but it can go in four. Honestly, all the top six movies are, I don't know, I, I love them so much it's hard to rank them. I mean, I had this one at six, but I'm going to put seven at four. <laughs> Yeah, seven's at five for me. The main reason I, I, I mean, I've of all these movies, I've seen seven the most. I've seen it probably like five times, and it's a fantastic movie. It's hard to explain, but there's it, it leaves you very like I don't know what I'm trying to say. It leaves you very like dry, high and dry feeling. I don't know. I'm not. I'm just not gonna say anything because it's too hard to like try to pick this movie apart. Obviously, it's a fantastic movie. I, I I've seen it many times. There's just weird depressed depressed kind of malaise throughout this entire movie that i feel like is due to like odd like characterization mm -hmm. i don't know morgan freeman kind of feels like just morgan freeman it doesn't feel like like i feel like the most impactful thing about the movie in terms of the performances is is really just like the end i guess honestly i've never been a fan of kevin spacey too so i i don't really like wow look at you ahead of your time <laughs> <laughs> what's the movie that he's in where he's like oh detective they bring him into like the police department and he's telling a story uh usual suspects usual suspects that was the only thing i liked him in for a while i, I don't know i, I feel like he I, all of his performances have always hit a flat note with me pretty much i think i might actually use my veto here because i think a certain movie's getting a little too high I think that Gone Girl should be number four. I like Gone Girl a lot. I have it at number six on my list. I think it's a really, really good mystery. I just don't think it is like one I would go back to very often in the same way that the top four movies on my list I have watched at least five times each. I've seen seven probably six times, maybe seven, you know, maybe my seventh viewing of seven will be different. But like Gone Girl, I saw it in, once in theaters and I left kind of like... You know, that was that was really well made, but I, and it didn't really like hit me. And then I watched it a second time at home with like my parents because like, you know, I was like, oh, I like this movie. I bet they would, too. I liked it more the second time, but then I didn't really like feel like compelled to go back and watch it. So uh, I think three or four nights ago, I was just like getting ready to go to bed. I threw Gone Girl on because I knew we would be doing this episode. And I didn't know if it would be in my top five or if it would be in my bottom five, so I was like, I gotta give this another watch. It just didn't do it for me at all. Like, I like the framing device, I like the mystery, but I just feel like in kind of the same way I think you're saying with like Seven, where like Morgan Freeman just feels like Morgan Freeman, I think Ben Affleck just feels like Ben Affleck in this movie. Yeah. He's usually really, really good when he wants to be. And when he doesn't want to be, he isn't. And to me, this feels like he's like well-directed, but he doesn't feel like he's playing anyone but himself and playing his type. I disagree completely. I think Ben Affleck is perfect in this movie. The way he portrays this character of, like, the movie sets you up, and this is what I think is actually, like, brilliant about this movie, where, like, it does come off that way, where it's, like, 
it feels like, oh, don't give a fuck, Ben Affleck. But that's what this character is, as you learn of what they're going through in the marriage. Like, I think it's actually, like, perfect the way they did it, how they surrounded Ben Affleck's character. Yeah. Like, it tied everything together so perfectly. I love this movie for the sole reason that Tyler Perry is in it. You know when uh, he a- he was asked to do the movie, he did not know who David Fincher was. Wow. That's a Chad move right there. <laughs> 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 apparently like his like agent or whatever or like one of his co-workers was like hey uh david fincher wants you in uh in gone girl he's like what's that about he, he was like well, that sounds cool who's this like david fincher guy and so he went on he went on i think it was like one of those like talk shows i think it might have been like the view or some some random like daytime tv interview and uh he was talking about like a cool up-and-comer filmmaker he was working with <laughs> and that cool oh up-and-comer filmmaker was oh. David Fincher. Oh my god! <laughs> it's just funny because he's so well established at that point. But uh, wow, the only casting issue I have with this movie really is fucking Neil Patrick Harris is so out of place in this film. No, dude, what? He's so good in this movie. I thought the same as you when I first found out he was in it. But like, I don't know. I think he does it well. I love him. He's great in everything, but not. I, it just doesn't. I don't buy his character at all. I thought it was like another. I don't know. I thought it was like another good layer to the movie when his character is like when he brings her back to the house and um or his house and that and you're kind of like kind of sus of him, like just the way because how overprotective he is and you don't really know their past all that well. I don't know. I really like that arc in the movie. What I liked about this movie, too, is we talked about it earlier with, um, I forget which movie it was. I think it was The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, where the movie, like, has kind of, like, a five-act structure. And, like, Gone Girl, I wouldn't say has, like, a five-act structure, but it, it hits you with, like, this and this and this. And then the and then the ending of the movie, when I first watched it, I was like, huh. And then, and I get it's based on a book and everything. And then I watched it again, I'm like, nah, it's... I love how it's just another great example of Fincher's pacing to me, of how that movie ends and uh, where he decided to, like, um, end the movie. Like, I love that the opening scene and the closing scene are, like, connected, and it made a lot more sense to me on, like, a second viewing of why he ended it that way. I definitely agree with that. Like, the the pacing, like what I was saying about Zodiac, about it feeling a little overdrawn, this movie is, like, a perfect example of, like, Fincher's pacing at its, like, best, I think. Not a second in this movie on board. The, uh, the actress who plays Amy Dunn. Oh, uh, Rosamund Pike? Yeah, she's awesome in this movie yeah i know i was kind of hating on this movie but th- this is her movie through and through she she carries this film for me and i, I think everything from the right like the writing of like her her big monologue and and just the overall performance like the way she looks up at ben affleck and like that repeated shot or like you know framing device at the beginning and the end of the movie i like the nuance you know like the nuance in her delivery of that look from the beginning of the movie versus the end they're two entirely different sentiments being uh given at the same time and uh, yeah this is her movie she deservedly was nominated for the the, uh, the for uh, her character here in one so it was just yeah i that's the big reason i i like love this movie or or respect it as much as i do because this one just kind of doesn't work for me in the same way his other thrillers do it, it, 
I hope it's one that grows on me over time. I think maybe because I've watched it three times since it came out in like seven years. Uh, maybe it's one that will just continue to grow on me over time. But so far, it it has not. In terms of like how how he reveals like the plot or her plot, it, it kind of mirrors her like manipulating the whole story in, in him, right? Um, and I, I love that about this movie. Like, I, th- I think it's when the subplot you were talking about with uh, Neil Patrick Harris, when you finally real, like when she like marks him in dramatic fashion, fashion when you fully like realize, holy shit, like mm-hmm. this bitch is crazy. And just the build up to that, that scene, I just remember like it stick- stuck with me for years. The first time I watched this movie was earlier this year, so I I haven't had time for this movie to like uh, sit with me for as long as you guys, but um, even on like a second like rewatch, like you and I, I love the parallels with Amy Dunn's character that she is based on in the film. She is based on a book character or parents base her on a character that they created, and you could tell. And it's I don't know. I really like when characters have layers like that where like. Uh, you could tell she just has a lot of issues mentally where, like, if she's gonna do all that and, like, it's almost like she is taking control of her life like it's a book series. And um, she, you could tell she was trying to be rebellious, but it almost just paints her back to being, having, like, main character syndrome once again. I know this is a fight between Seven. I haven't really shared my thoughts on Seven. Uh, So I think... I'm going to do that now. What I thoroughly enjoy about Seven and why I think it's as great as it is, is how you can see its footprints in, like, film moving forward. Um, Not to say that it was a game-changing movie, but there weren't a whole lot of thrillers that were as, like, gory and, like, just straight up, like, violent like this one was in terms of, like, the scene when they are, like, trying to find... uh, the guy who's been missing for however long and they get the clue that he's in like that apartment and the the police are like looking around they search the place it smells like there's a dead person in there and then they see the bed like that is one of the most suspenseful scenes in just about any movie for me and when he when the, the sloth finally moves it like it's one of those jump scares that like sticks with you like that that works so so well for me and everything from like the polaroids on the wall to like the journal all of the props and the set decorations for this film are so scary looking and they're so, so well done. Uh, I love the environment of this like dreary city with no name. It's just pouring rain all the time. It's miserable. Somerset's ready to just give it up. He's ready to retire. And this is like his last case. The characters really, really work for me in this through like a really dark and bleak kind of movie. And then where when the story gets to where it goes, you can see its footprint like everywhere. Like the entire Saw films were based off of this. Like it made a lasting impact for the horror genre. And I, I don't know if you saw Spiral yet, but um, uh, it's just Seven again. Yeah, like even not even seeing Seven, I see similarities to Seven. <laughs> what is Spiral? Uh, it's the new Saw movie, Spiral from the Book of Saw, like written and starring Chris Rock. I like Spiral actually, just as like a tad bit. It's I would actually recommend it. I still haven't finished Saw Seven. I'm gonna watch that after Saw Seven, and then Spiral's like a spinoff. You don't need to watch the other ones. You could watch Spiral whenever. Yeah, as long as you, I guess know the very basics of saw you're probably fine um i just i wanted to add that 
I mean, you're you're right, Nate. Like, honestly, to this day, sometimes I think about the whole lust scene or whatever, and I'm like, oh my god, it's so painful to even remember it in that movie. Like that that is a very good point. I mean, it did really. I I honestly wouldn't have a problem with it being bumped up to four because. There's just so much of that movie that sticks with you. That's why it was hard to like shit on. I think this is one of the few movies that Gwyneth Paltrow is like fantastic in. <laughs> that that was one thing. Her I didn't really care about her in the movie. Like whenever like she gets has everybody seen the movie? No, but we know what's in the box. Yeah, yeah. So like whenever that happened in the movie, that was the least like impactful thing to me. Like I thought a lot of the other deaths were like a lot worse i really like the scene where they invite uh morgan freeman like over for dinner and you're kind of getting like the fact that she's just now getting accustomed to this place and like the train's so loud that they all just like start laughing in the middle of the conversation like you you can tell that like there's this there's this connection between all three characters and then i love how she doesn't tell uh brad pitt's character about her being pregnant right off the bat she she decides to tell somerset because she doesn't know how how brad pitt's character is going to take it and uh the way that that adds into the finale and the drama there I, I i think this is one of the things that works so well about it is it has those hitchcockian elements that the panic room does where it, it gives you these characters and it gives you this like environment and then the premise of, you know, the seven deadly sins are being recreated as crime scenes, essentially. Um, but where it really, really works, I think, is what they don't show. You were talking about that lust scene. And I think in, like, a cheaper thriller. Oh, yeah. Like, you would see that act being done. And it would look kind of like they'd either have to really lean into it. And this movie wouldn't have gotten put out in theaters. And it would be, like, NC-17 or X-rated. Or they would it, they would have been cheesy and taken away from it. But the fact that they just show you the murder weapon and they have that guy who's like shaking and he's like, yeah, I just like committed that act. And it was like horrible. Like, oh, yeah, that sticks with me way more than if they decided to try to show that. Oh, yeah. And that's why I like this movie, because it's so technically and fundamentally really, really strong. It has a lot of things of like older movies that I appreciate, but in its presentation is one of the first modern thrillers. And a lot of times, like what you imagine is going to happen is scarier than what actually happens. That's why so many like Hitchcock movies have stuck with me for a long time. Like Hitchcock doesn't really show anything. He just keeps you on the edge of your seat. So then you're pretty much what you're imagining is like scarier than what you're going to see. So yeah, that's definitely a huge element in that movie. Sweet. So seven or gone girl here at number four, everybody. I'd vote seven. I also vote seven. I'm thinking that gone girl needs to go here at four. So yeah, I kind of don't want to have a tie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, seven, number four. I'm happy that seven's not at number seven. <laughs> not like a hateful eight. It's my turn to nominate something, and uh, my two lowest left are Gone Girl and The Social Network, so I kind of want to just echo my previous thoughts on Gone Girl and stick it here at three. Um, we have already had a nomination for Zodiac getting placed at like number eight or something, and Social Network is yet to be brought up. So I think we just open the floor to a discussion here and figure out what we want the top three's order to be. I feel like Gone Girl should go here. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> ben, you got to really sell me on a Gone Girl going over Zodiac. Or The Social Network, I guess. Oh no. <laughs> Damn it. I haven't seen Zodiac in years, but Gone Girl over Social Network. Let me think about this. I'm, I'm a musician, so I really appreciate a good soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Wait, actually starting there. 
Star- oh yeah, starting there, I would probably put Social Network above Gone Girl. I was about to say, wait a minute, doesn't the Social Network have the best soundtrack? I mean, Gone Girl has an amazing soundtrack too, like really good. Yeah, Social Network has a better. Honestly, what doesn't put Social Network in the top three for me, like the the whole the whole the whole drama of the movie about them being friends or whatever, seems more trite than than all the 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 real catalyzing drama in a lot of his other movies like it's it's like okay like so he lost his friend it doesn't seem it's not as impactful to me because i don't know big deal no like i see what you get and i have absolutely no sympathy for anything in mark zuckerberg's life but this movie's great it's it's great i don't know i guess it's it's more subjective of me saying but like i there the impact of their friendship ending and the the build up to that and all the scenes like that are around it. Uh, I, I know I watched this with Kiernan and he was like, he was like, oh, this is like, this scene is so great whenever he like, he tells him off and stuff. And I'm like, Kiernan, you're way more invested in this like drama than I am. And I was like, I just, I guess I didn't care from the outset about like the whole story or, or really their, their friendship. Um, and also like, also I didn't really like justin timberlake in this i think he has a good performance but like really oh his performance is good but like what he adds to the movie i feel like is pretty negligible i could see that i personally yeah really like justin timberlake's character in here i think the supporting cast of this movie is awesome i think like between army hammer justin timberlake like andrew garfield like you have some some people probably firing at the, their career best performances here. Certainly Jesse Jesse Eisenberg is. I, I think Justin Timberlake actually did a good job. I'm just saying like his character, like yeah, like his character in the movie, he kind of only exists to drive that wedge. And other than that, he doesn't really like... He's playing like the new girlfriend character, really. Exactly, exactly. I think that's why I love this movie, though, because I think it's so hard for... Um, maybe it's not hard, but it's... I don't feel like it's seen in like big movies where usually the main um, complication between two characters is usually romantically. And this is one of the rare times where it's just two college friends. And I think uh, a relationship with somebody in college is an underrated like point in your life that not a lot of movies like really go into. Um, I mean, I'm on a podcast with my friends from college. College is a big part of people's lives sometimes. And uh, as you go through life, it could cause those, those friendships could cause friction of if you try to start a business with them, or if you try to start a podcast with them, there's, (laughs) there's friction not to compare uh, Facebook success with a little podcast success. But I, I kind of relate to, um, Mark and Eduardo in this movie and what kind of complications they could go through and what you cannot see eye to eye. And uh, I think it's... I just don't see that in a movie often. Usually, these are between two characters um, who are having sex, and that's not the case here. I think that this movie is, is very well made on a technical level. I mean, obviously, all of Fincher's movies are, but this one especially... Uh, just the attention to detail is is awesome. I love the the look of the film, and of course that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross score is so good. It's the best part of the movie, in my opinion. I, I think 
any song from this this score from this soundtrack you could put into pretty much any scene and I'm, I'm gonna like it. Uh, I've seen it happen so many times with like my friends film projects and stuff. They'll use it as like spec audio before they give a composer like a, like just a, a feel for tone or whatever. And it happens all the time. And I always, I always like hearing the score. But I think that this movie was just made at like too early of a time into the Facebook legacy to make uh, a movie like this that it's gonna continue to age well. Just because like, Sure, the movie's not about Facebook. It's not even really like a biopic. It's about the tension between the people who founded it and like the legal proceedings and, and all of that. But I just don't think they get the characterization of anything right in this movie from what we know a few years later. And granted, I mean, they made this like right after Facebook really, really blew up. I don't know. I feel like they made this at the perfect time, though, because like... I don't think Facebook was any bigger than what it was in the early 2010s. Yeah, but I mean, they made this movie in 2010. The script was written in like 2009, right after they reached whatever, 1 billion users or whatever. Yeah, that's what I mean. I feel like... I feel like the role that Facebook plays in today's world is way bigger than the one it played 10 years ago. Yeah, they do have Instagram. But Facebook still in 2011 was kind of like the cool new thing. Like Facebook now is just kind of a regular part of our lives when we want to change check in on old friends or family it's not it's not like this like big like it's like it's still an important pillar in the history of what social media is now but i don't know i don't it's changed where it's uh like facebook owns like instagram now and everything like there's there's so many more layers to it facebook used to just be facebook the Facebook, as I should say. The whole girlfriend plot, I don't even remember what happened with that or like... Brenda Song? She kind of just shows up. The one who breaks up with him at the beginning. Like that whole plot line, I don't really remember like serving any purpose other than like characterizing him as an asshole pretty much. And I'm pretty sure it was made up, that, right? That was its purpose, yeah. It's written really well. Yeah, that, that first scene really, really draws you in. But besides that, I feel like the whole any other scene with his girlfriend is like uh whatever or his ex i guess yeah that was um that was rooney mara wasn't it yeah yeah it is yeah for me the the elements of of social network that really really work for me outweigh the ones that really really work in gone girl because i think we get like one career best performance in gone girl and then a pretty good supporting cast but I, I really think like the ensemble cast of the social network is so strong and while I think like the writing and the characters can be a, a little trite in some places, it's an Aaron Sorkin script, so of course it's gonna be. Um, but Fincher's direction and that again, I can't write, I can't say this enough. That that score is is so so good. I kind of have to give it to Social Network. Yeah, there are multiple points in the movie where I'm like, damn, like this this music is so good. And when we're look when we're looking on the history of like. The Academy Awards, too, to this day, people still bring up how the social network didn't win and the King's Speech did. did. Yeah, but <laughs> I also really like the King's Speech. That one's a good so movie. I think it's definitely Tom Hooper's best movie. I definitely like Social Network better than the king's speech though like some rock bands like you know members leave and then they like briefly will go form like a super group i feel like social network is like a super group movie because you have david fincher directing and like aaron sorkin who wh whether you love him or hate him is known for being like one of the best writers currently working in hollywood like then you got that 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 the duo con composing the movie i i feel like it's like Hollywood firing on all cylinders to make a, a movie about a hot topic issue 
And Ben, I believe you brought up uh, Spotlight recently uh, in comparing it to like Zodiac. I, I think like I'd compare Social Network and uh, Spotlight a little bit more closely. This is Hollywood firing on all cylinders, getting the most popular re and relevant people together to make something about what's going on in the world. And this is so much better than Spotlight for me in that regard, because it's like, wow, this is like a really cool like origin of of how we got Facebook and like the people behind it, but not not in a way like Zodiac that feels almost like a documentary. It feels very much like a inter interpersonal coming of age movie. So for number three, should we just say what we think goes here? Sure. I think that Gone Girl should go here at number three. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think Gone Girl should go here. Uh, I'm good with that, yeah. That means our number one and number two are going to be the Social Network and Zodiac. How are we ranking these? <laughs> Social Network is definitely better than Zodiac. <laughs> All right. Good start. <laughs> I love both of these movies. Let's let's talk about Zodiac because I we've talked about Social Network for like 10 minutes there. Sweet. Yeah, let's talk about Zodiac. Uh, first time I saw this movie, I was absolutely blown away. Uh, it was one of those movies that like made me really like consider getting into working in film and like trying to understand what that means. I watched every single behind the scenes thing about this film that I could. I read the the uh, the uh, memoir that it's based off of or, or the the book that it's based off of uh, about Ro Robert Graysmith's uh, who's. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character in the movie, his book about him trying to track down the Zodiac killer, like as a private investigator with no experience for 25 years. Uh, and it was so, so interesting, so fascinating. So seeing the amount of love and care go into this movie, following Robert Graysmith's narrative of how things went down and also using um, like crime scene photos and stuff like that to reenact those um, those murders is absolutely fascinating to me. I think it's one of the best true crime movies ever made. I, I would say it's also one of the best thrillers ever made. I do totally understand what Ben's saying, though, about the pacing and the ending. For me, the pacing, I could watch this movie any day of the week. Yeah, I agree. I simp for this movie. It's one of my favorites of all time. When people ask me what my favorite movie is, I default to Zodiac, so that's just me. It's a... Uh... Yeah, I think this movie's brilliant. You re you recommended it to me about a year ago, I think, and um, I loved it from the first viewing. Um, this movie was made, I think, in 2007, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. To me, this was the real, like, Robert Downey Jr. comeback role. It showed what I wanted more out of Robert Downey Jr. Like, as iconic as he is as Iron Man, like, I wish we got more performances like how he is in Zodiac. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, who, like, he's had so many great performances up to this point. Like, the guy, like, it's impossible for him to give a bad performance, and he is awesome in this. Mark Ruffalo, an actor that I think we've all trashed on this podcast, um, it's his career best performance, I think. It's, like, the cast, I think, is awesome. Same thing with The Social Network. Um, when it comes to the cast, I think these are the top two movies. I think it's paced incredibly well. Uh, maybe the only, I'm trying to think of if I had some sort of criticism, if I had the really, really nitpick, maybe the cinematography, I don't remember anything really sticking out to me, uh, compared to, like, The Social Network, um, yeah, maybe, maybe it's just because I saw The Social Network more recently, but I can't really think of any certain shots or sequences from Zodiac that I 
really like. I, the scenes themselves and the dialogue, I think, is what I think of when I think of Zodiac. The production design is really, really fantastic. They like they recreated like clothing materials and things uh, to exactly replicate like what people were like stabbed in or what people were like shot in. Uh, they like refurbished, I think like at the time this was made, like a record amount of vehicles for like, uh, exterior shots. I, I guess they're very fortunate because San Francisco is one of those cities that didn't really change a ton, like cosmetically in, in between, uh, I guess like the early two thousands and the like early seventies more so than like say Los Angeles. Uh, but they do such a good job of making this movie look like a documentary and i could see why that doesn't work for some people but uh it's literally like a three hour long movie of watching first crime scene reenactments and then like the whole mystery of trying to figure out who's behind this from underqualified people like two journalists and you know a cop who's on the case one of my favorite scenes in this and again i i do think this is one of mark ruffalo's best performances and i also not a huge fan of the guy. One of my favorite scenes is when he's going to the movie premiere of, of Dirty Harry, which was like, at the time, Hollywood's like, oh, we're going to make a quick like exploitation action movie based off of the Zodiac Killer. And so seeing like him go to that premiere and he's sitting there watching it, he's like, fuck this, and like gets out and leaves. Uh, like that part, like it sticks with me because I think it's good commentary on filmmaking as a whole and in some ways how far we've come at telling stories and how far um integrity has come when it comes to using a movie to tell doing journalism through narrative film like i don't think that that's something that's ever really been done in a way that's tasteful i think there's a lot of movies that try and spotlight's definitely one that does taking a biased stance on like who robert graysmith thinks is truly the zodiac killer is really the only liberties this film takes from what is police evidence and what is cold hard fact. And you totally buy into the obsession of specifically Gyllenhaal's character in this case. And, you know, he wasn't alone in that. There was there was a whole zeitgeist of people trying to figure out who that killer was for almost two... Well, yeah, most people almost two decades, and this dude was just crazy enough to keep going. Another thing they kind of... Where Hollywood, yeah, tried to jump on that, and then they kind of did like a... a they kind of went down i forget how many years later but uh i think there's a scene i think with robert downey jr's character where they're like nobody cares about it anymore and it's weird and it was kind of like a commentary on like people moving on because it's just another news story to people anyway i've been talking a lot alden ben what are your guys's thoughts between zodiac and the social network honestly honestly i've given it a solid defense i should probably watch it again but I think like again I think I mentioned before like I think the main thing for me is like I don't I don't really remember what the like dramatic tension of the movie really was besides you know just him just them trying to find a guy like I didn't really I don't know I I don't remember any that scene where Jake Gyllenhaal's character says uh there's no basements in California or whatever I'm on the edge of my seat for that whole scene is that when he goes into the guy's house yeah mm-hmm. that's, that's the one scene I really remember there's not a lot of basements in California what pulls me into a movie is more like character driven things and I feel like with this movie it's definitely more 
more plot driven there's the murder scene at lake tahoe where like the couple's just laying down they're having like a picnic or whatever the dude's reading a book and then in broad daylight the zodiac killer just shows up in like the like the burlap sack over his face and like they just get straight up murdered in the middle of this like park in broad daylight like that scene is crazy well shot in my opinion um, we were talking earlier about how the cinematography for Zodiac's not all that flashy, and I, I agree to it a certain extent. If my two my two biggest criticisms with Zodiac are the shot composition matching that more of a documentary, because I feel like if this was a bit more stylized, there are some good tracking shots and a really good train shot at the uh, crane shot at the uh, ta- taxi cab uh, murder. Yeah, uh, there's like a couple of really really good shots, but I wish it was like just a little bit flashier all throughout the presentation there just doesn't really it leaves some to be desired and then my other complaint is the score i wish that trent reznor and atticus ross were working with fincher when this film came out because i think that the score would be uh, a lot better i don't think the score is bad but it they used uh david shire who made a lot of movies in the 70s and early 80s around the time that this film takes place he, he like he most notably did like the conversation with gene hackman the francis ford coppola movie he also did like saturday night fever he did the score for a lot of really popular movies in the mid to late 70s and so they were like oh well we'll have him do the score for zodiac because it takes place in that time and i just think with like the modern presentation in terms of the visuals it doesn't quite match up with the music the music kind of is is the one thing about zodiac that i wish was a little stronger now i think there's a lot of really great tense scenes there's the one where dude tries to fix the flat tire on the side of the road and like the mom's with her like little kid and stuff like that scene's extremely tense yeah you're right you're right um and even the opening scene too where the the kids are on the date on the fourth of july and there's the car this movie works better as a horror film for me than even seven does i think there's like five or six really tense suspenseful scenes and then in between those you get the the messages and the ciphers like when he calls into that show i was hoping we get something like that in joker 2019 too like that shit's haunting (laughs) was that actually him who called into the show or is that somebody else yeah it was actually the who they believe to be the zodiac killer that's the thing too is this movie ends we this it's still a cold case no one knows i completely agree with nate uh for the score what five of these films over the past like couple weeks four of which were today and yesterday nice four out of the five i think had atticus ross and trent reznor so it was it was just jarring it was different to have zodiac not not they and it seemed that the sound was attempting to be similar to other Fincher films, but it was just, I don't know. It just felt awkward. Some scenes, it was a little out of place. Most of the time I'm fine sitting through a slow burn like this. And in Zodiac's like case, it's very tense, even though it, it's pacing is a bit slower. I, I knew a lot about the Zodiac killer prior to this movie and it's still a ton of new information about it to keep me interested in this film all the way through. However, I think as a total package, the social network is a lot, a lot, a lot better. 
in terms of accessibility, being able to watch it at any point. I have to be in the mood for Zodiac. I feel like in the social network, I could just show it to a friend whenever and watch it all the way through. Yeah, I think the legacy of the social network is going to be huge. Uh, I kind of made a prediction that it would go down as like one of the best films of the 2010s. Uh, and I think it still is. It's in my top 10 for the decade, I think. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. In terms of like the social implications and also like the team behind that movie, it it, it's one of those that, yeah, it probably should have won Best Picture, or it could have won Best Picture, but I think more importantly, it's one of those that's going to like sh- like be a testament to what early 2010s filmmaking was. In, in Zodiac's case, like I, I feel like if Fincher never made this movie, we wouldn't have all of these other documentaries or just movies in general about serial killers. I don't think Dexter would have happened. Man, maybe Zodiac shouldn't have happened then, because fuck Dexter. (laughs) I like Dexter. I'm kidding. Dexter's fine. So I guess I'm happy they're going back to and doing it again i guess <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know what's happening there but damn dexter started in 2006 oh shit i knew it was early but i thought it was at least the same year as zodiac all right well i think i think alden's vote for the social network is is putting it over zodiac i mean we had a panelist try to play Zodiac at eight. I think for once we have to go with the popular opinion. I could sing the praises of Zodiac. Are y'all gonna hate me for that? No, 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 no. You, you, uh, you didn't ride it out too long. I didn't have to use my veto to protect my favorite movie. So I respect you a lot for that, Ben. Honestly, I, I want to watch it again now because y'all have gave it a very thorough defense. So I feel like your first watch just went poorly because the movie's incredible. I think Josh, when I recommended you to watch Zodiac, I think it was was like a little bit over a year ago i think like right when we started the show i was like you've gotta watch it like middle of the day if if you're kind of tired you're probably gonna fall asleep at some point like it is one of those movies that because of it's just just the runtime alone it's like one of those that you just kind of are like holy cow this is still going on like i think it's it's extremely well paced for something of its length but any three hour plus movie is gonna be like taxing on your mental state when you wait like you get up from the movie and you're like oh it's dark outside now the social network i think is paced really fast too like once he gets to the wired in stuff and then like we're in the last scene where he's like tapping the refresh button it's like shit that's the end of the movie fincher does the dialogue for the social network is very interesting it was um who wrote the social network it wasn't Fincher. No, but the way it's like cut and 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 Aaron Sorkin. That opening scene of the Social Network is such an enjoyable scene, um, and I really I think it sets uh, Jesse Eisenberg's character so well because they're talking about like three different things, right? He and his his girlfriend. And she's, like, trying to keep up with him, but he's, like, such great dialogue. So I'd, I'd have to agree with you on that. I, that's another reason I like, I would put um, Social Network above Zodiac is because that, that dialogue is is so immersive and it's so enjoyable to just, like, listen to. Yeah. Alden, Josh, you guys want to give us your, your micro lists? Panic Room, Gone Girl, uh zodiac social network oh <laughs> i can give my full list but i can start at what i've seen no, just just do your full list if you have one <laughs> alien three uh benjamin button panic room the game the girl with the dragon tattoo fight club seven gone girl mank zodiac and then the social network at number 11 i had alien three number 10 the curious case of benjamin button number nine panic room number eight the game Number seven, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Number six, Gone Girl. Five, Mank. Four, The Social Network. Three, Fight Club. 
two, seven, and number one, Zodiac. Mine is so different than y'all's. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven, Alien Three, ten, Benjamin Button, nine, The Game, eight, Zodiac, seven, Panic Room, six, seven, five, Social Network, four, Fight Club, three, Mank. Two dragon tattoo, one gone girl. Wow, one gone girl. A real jewelry. It's like jewelry's back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Gone girl is so good. I could watch that movie like every day. I don't agree. I I really hope that I can get to that point with the movie too. I I hope it's one of those that like I hope that that movie means something more to me in my thirties than it does currently in my twenties. It's just like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood all over again. <laughs> <laughs> so so like what you're saying for Gone Girl, I. Think I think the same is true for me of uh, Social Network. Like, I first saw that about a month ago. And, you know, it's been out for 10 years. Y'all have probably seen it a few times. But, like, that's a movie that I'm going to have to watch again. I watched The Social Network for the first time, like, I think it was, like, my first year in college. And I feel like that was the best possible time to watch it. Yeah, back when we thought we were going to start something awesome. <laughs> well, I never thought that. Uh, Well, let's see. I usually like to end with a couple of, like, questions or thought-provoking things, but uh, what is a movie that you guys have seen, whether it be recently or not, that you wish David Fincher would have made instead? Spiral. <laughs> Honestly, Josh, I don't find that to be a bad, like, uh, pick. <laughs> it's the same cast because that'd be interesting yeah that's what i'm thinking uh i don't know if you guys saw the little things it was the first one of the hbo movies to come out this year it just felt like a bad fincher movie like it felt like someone was just trying to copy him i felt like it's one of those movies that i mean he, it's not the best script ever but it's a good enough one and his capabilities as a director probably would have made that an amazing movie as opposed to just like an okay one somehow jared leto got nominated for a fucking golden globe somehow but that movie was no <laughs> a little on the cheesy end uh that's the first thing that came to mind for me um i saw this i can't remember the name of it but i saw this movie with like willem dafoe and nicholas cage uh like mobsters or some shit but the movie has this crazy opening with william willem dafoe just going whack and murdering this person opens super great the rest of the movie is complete shit and i don't remember the name of the movie but watching that opening and seeing the rest of the movie i'm like wow this this really was a train wreck after a great opening so he should have directed that one i'm trying to find it i can't remember what it's called dog eat dog oh yeah yeah i saw that it sucked but it opened super well and i was like it had a good a good start uh downsizing <laughs> downsizing <laughs> with matt damon <laughs> i feel like that would have been a way different movie <laughs> i can give you a meme pick but i'd rather not shrek 2 no absolutely not shrek the third i feel like if we were ever to get a live action over the hedge movie david fincher <laughs> better take that off <laughs> <laughs> I want the same cast. I want Bruce Willis as a raccoon. <laughs> if we're talking cartoons, he would have brought life to Toy Story 4. That was bank bankrupt from the get-go, and he would have been able to do something with that corpse. You you might have a point. He's pretty good with book adaptations. Maybe he would have made like the Hunger Games watchable. <laughs> No, <laughs> it's still the Hunger Games. Sorry, Grace. You know, I'm really glad for as big of a director he is. I, 
I think it's really refreshing that he didn't really go into, like, the big... He never made, like, a big blockbuster. I think Gone Girl is his highest grossing movie. Yeah, Gone Girl was pretty big. I think he was on, like, a short list for people to do um, the Dark Knight trilogy. Like, they wanted someone to do Batman. Oh, interesting. I think he would have been a great, great pick since, I mean there's a plethora of like source material so like he probably could have done something unique we probably would have gotten something very similar in tone probably i'd, I'd rec like i'd reckon just given the fact that nolan kind of leaned into a lot of uh uh isms of fincher with that trilogy yeah I, I feel like they're both really good at realism and i could see it going the same way or similar way if he had directed that and when we got that the batman teaser like nine months ago now or whatever um I literally was looking at that teaser and I was like, this literally looks like seven, like, but with Batman, like, I think they're just going to do that again. Like they're going to lean into like the groundedness and I hope they do it like better. Like, I don't know. I really like the dark Knight trilogy for what it is, but it definitely could use a little bit more Batman, a little less like real life crime or supposedly like real life crime. That would be cool. Um, even if we're kind of getting that with Matt Reeves, like you said, that's that's the thing is like he does have a lot of influence on other directors, especially this generation of directors. What if um, what if Fincher did a Fantastic Four movie? The only time he ever like delved in sci-fi was Alien Three, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It would be interesting. Yeah, it's weird. Like I feel like Mank kind of felt so out of pocket for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it worked. I'm sure, people said the same thing when Ed Wood came out for. Tim Burton. It's not a movie, but I think um, he should direct a movie adapta adaptation of The Brothers Karamazov. Have y'all read that? Two of us don't read, so... <laughs> Al Alden's the only literate one of us. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't finished it. I'm actually reading it right now. That's why I mentioned it. But it's this Russian novel about this, like, burnout dad who has these three sons. Two of the sons are in this love triangle with this girl. The dad ends up getting murdered. I'm pretty sure I haven't gotten that far, but there's some great dynamics in it, um, and it's in Russia, so like that'd be pretty dope. Yeah, it'd be cool to see him do something in like Eastern Europe again, like a girl with a dragon tattoo. I think he knocked that out of the park. You had that really high too. Uh, yeah. Uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Like I, like I said, like that movie really, like I don't know what what it was. After I finished that movie, I was like, damn, like, I am sad now. Like, it, it was just a very peculiar kind of feeling that I don't get from a whole lot of movies. And that was a, basically the main reason I had for putting it so high up. Like, that left me with, like, such a deep impact for some reason. Speaking of Daniel Craig, I feel like David Fincher could have even made Knives Out even a much better movie than even what it was, and even though I still think it's a good movie. It would have a very different tone. <laughs> I can't believe Netflix gave uh, Ryan Johnson $460 million for the budget for the next two Knives Out movies. That's insane. Yeah. They're making sequels? They're making two straight-to-Netflix sequels. Oh, my 
goodness. The cast list is nuts so far. Hang on, let me pull it up. Ed- Edward Norton's in it. Nice. I think Batista is too, right? Dave Batista, Catherine Hahn, Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, and Janelle Monet so far. <laughs> That's crazy. Catherine Hahn? <laughs> yeah. What? There were like four or five days in a row on Twitter where like Ryan Johnson was just tweeting out, this person's going to be a Knives Out too. <laughs> and then publications were just posting fucking articles like left and right. Yeah. I just don't know why it needs so, such a big budget. The first one was shot for like $40 million and it had a huge A-list cast. I don't know. Yeah, I love the cast of the first one. I just rewatched the, uh, I guess, the only one. One um, was that earlier this week. And I, I still love it. It's a good film. I'm going to take a guess it's not going to take place in one location this time. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably not. All right. Well, I think that does it for our uh, our David Fincher episode. Thank you so much, Ben, for being on the show. Uh, yeah, thank you all so much for having me. I am probably going to watch Zodiac within the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah. don't start it now. You, you will fall asleep again if you start it now. But uh... Maybe it'll put me to sleep even faster. I've had pretty bad insomnia the past few days, so... Oh, just watch Insomnia. Oh, well then watch the movie Insomnia. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Duel of the Takes. Next week, Josh Alden and I will be ranking every Fast and the Furious movie. And remember, if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.